Well, let's have a little quick devotion tonight before we look at our prayer list. Um, unless I do like I do sometimes and go off on a tangent, I shouldn't speak long, but since I say that, it'll probably be 40 minutes, but I hope not. Well, you can leave whenever you're ready. Yeah. Um, uh, most of you may remember, but I gave the same devotion 728 days ago. Um, now, if you do the math, that goes back to November 4th of 2020. Today's the second, so two days from now would be a full two years. But if you'll remember that Wednesday night, we were here and we had voted. We were waiting on the results of the presidential election. They were slow coming in, if you'll recall, with the uh, Trump-Biden um, vote. So. I had brought this um, devotional uh, regarding how we should respond to government, and we have, of course, some of you may have already early voted, but we have another election this coming Tuesday, some different state officials and some amendments on the ballot. So I thought this would be good just as a, as a little refresher. But that Wednesday night, almost... Two years ago, we felt like we were in a, in a holding pattern. Uh, we weren't used to waiting that long on the results. Usually the television stations have declared it much sooner, but um, we didn't know. But I did encourage us as Christians that evening, no matter the results, to be sure that we continued to love one another, to pray for one another, to place our hope in Jesus Christ, and to be responsible citizens under our government. And I hope that's been how we have uh, treated each other across, not only across party lines, but just as individuals in two years since. So as we're looking at this midterm election coming up, I wanted to take just a few minutes and remind us of our uh, Christian responsibility to government. I'm gonna be in a couple different um, scriptures tonight, so if you want to follow along, uh, where we're going to start as is in 1 Samuel 26, if you want to turn there, and the idea in this passage is that we must uh, respect our government. We must respect our government. In 1 Samuel 26, verses 7 through 11, it says, so David and Abisha went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment, with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abisha said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abisha, do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. I can kind of relate to Abisha here. Sometimes we're in a situation and we think, well, the, 
the Lord's handed this to us, but David knew different. He said, we're not going to do this. This is the Lord's anointed. We're going to leave him alone. But they did take the spear and the water jug to let Saul know we could have done something if we wanted to. Somebody was here and they could have easily taken, uh, taken his life. But when it comes to elections in our government, we don't always get our way, do we? It's going to go one way or the other, and sometimes it's our way and sometimes it's not. Here in the scripture, we see that David was already um, set to be the next king of Israel. And in this day, in this culture, this wasn't by election, but this was by divine ordination. This is who God said is going to be the next king of Israel, and he could have taken, um, because he had a right to the throne, he could have easily taken that. And he had that opportunity. There was one person standing in his way, and that was Saul. And Abisha, he's saying, here he is. Here, he's an easy target. Let me uh, take care of him. Of course, I wonder if, um, you know, Abisha didn't say, David, you take the spear and pin him to the earth. He says, let me do it. And I wonder if there's not something more that we could read into the text there. It, that might be a, a message of its own why Abisha wanted to do that rather than uh, suggest it for David. But David reminded him that God is in control and would take care of Saul in his own time. Um, and we know God's timing is far from ours. There's things we wonder, God, why is this going on as long as it is? I even sometimes wonder, I know that you are long-suffering, but how much longer are we going to have to suffer along with you? You know, just sort of that sort of thing. But we know that he, he's given opportunity for as many to be saved as will. So we thank God for his... Uh, patience but we think sometimes well there are from our perspective bad people that get elected to offices and and how can that be God's will how can we say well this person's elected and we know that God is the one that sets people in places of authority why would this what we perceive an evil person, which most of the time I think our perceptions are pretty good when it comes to politics. Why would God allow this? But then you remember in John 19, 11, Jesus told Pilate, said, you would have no authority over me lest I gave it to you. God, which let's go into the Trinity here for a moment, who Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, same as God in power and authority, gave Pilate authority over himself to crucify him. Now, if I were someone in authority, I wouldn't want to give someone else the authority to come and kill me. But that was God's plan. God's plan from before the foundation of the world was that this had to happen. But Pilate would not have had that authority except that Jesus had given it to him. So because all authority comes from God, we must respect those he puts in authority. Um, that doesn't mean we have to go along with everything that they say, everything they do. We don't have to necessarily like their policies. But because God is the one who puts 
people in office, we have to uh, respect that office because otherwise, if we're saying God is doing this and we disrespect that office, well, we're committing a sin of distrust towards God because we're trusting him to do the best for us. Again, that doesn't mean we always like it, but we have to trust God that he knows uh, what he's doing. And sometimes we get what we deserve. That happens too. Secondly, um, in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, not only should we um, respect our government, we should submit to our government. In 1 Peter 2 chapter, or 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 13 through 17, uh, Peter writes, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. He sort of covers all bases there, doesn't he? You know, he, he could have said honor everyone and left it at that, but he goes further to even say honor those in authority, in this case the emperor, uh, but we could even go so far as to say governors, presidents, senators, and so on. But according to the passage here, we see that uh, the ESV, where I'm reading from, says every human institution. I think some other um, translations say human ordinance or man's ordinance. Basically, the law that man has put into place uh, is put in place to punish evildoers, and bring praise to those who do good. Now stop and think with me just a minute when we think about some of the laws of our land. When you think about it punishing evildoers and, and bringing praise to those who do good, that feels a little bit backward, doesn't it? You know, it seems like every time we turn around, evil is being called good and good is being called evil. Um, this assembly tonight, I'm sure there are people that say that this is a cult meeting and it shouldn't be going on. Friends, we're the church of the living God. We're the furthest thing from a cult that there is. But um, good is called evil and evil is called good. And I do believe the Bible says somewhere, woe unto those who call it such. But even when we feel like the laws against us. We feel like Christianity. I mean, there's a lot of laws that haven't necessarily gone the church's way. Um, Roe versus Wade was one. Thankfully, that's been reversed at least for now. Taking prayer out of school that you know that wasn't good. But as far as government persecution on the church, we haven't really experienced that yet. We've, we've seen some things that haven't gone our way. But regardless, even when 
and I'm not going to say if, I'm just going to say when it becomes illegal in the United States of America to be a Christian, to own a Bible, to attend a church that is not probably what would then be a state-sponsored church, don't give up doing good. Because who is your ultimate authority? Yes, submit to the government. But God didn't change. The laws of the land may have changed. But how does that affect our relationship to God? It, it, it doesn't. So don't give up doing good. When people treat us poorly, do good. When politicians let us down, do good. And I love this illustration that the moon does not produce its own light, but it reflects the light of the sun. And the same way, we don't produce our own light, but we reflect the light of Jesus that's in us. And the worst thing we can do is let something eclipse that light to where we're not shining anymore. And we can let situations such as how things are going in our country make our light a little dimmer. But it's not because the light of Jesus is dimmer. It's because we're not being as reflective of a surface as we should be. We're not letting his light shine through us. But have you ever noticed, there's always a saying, it's always darkest before the dawn. There's something about when it first gets dusky dark and you see a street light, yeah, you can, you can tell it's on, you can tell it's producing light, but it doesn't look that bright. But the later the evening goes, the light of that street light hasn't gotten brighter, but it seems brighter because there's more darkness around it. Now, you're in an empty room, it's dark, you strike a match, the darkness doesn't chase away that light, but the light chases away the darkness. So the darker the world gets, the more we're going to have to be sure and let that light shine because that's what the United States of America, what the world needs is that light to continue to shine. And I'll tell you, there's some days that I'm pretty dim. You know, they... Um, I get kind of tickled sometimes. They talk about these different phases of the moon. I guess sometimes I'm the waning gibbous. I don't know. But they talk about all these waxing gibbous, waning gibbous, half moon, full moon, crescent moon. we got to be a full moon shining for Jesus. And we can't allow anything to come in the way of that. Did you not understand my science lesson? Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. That was God's thing happening for us to see. But we were my brothers on the little mountain, and we could look down and see the electricity cause the streetlights to yeah. come on. Yeah. And it was daytime. Mm-hmm. So I thought that God controlled that. Yeah. Even though that whole thing happened, it's strange that that was more right. Yeah. If, if you'll allow me just a little more tangent here, I, I love this stuff. Um, That eclipse, scientists knew exactly when it would happen, where it would be visible. They've charted out how it's going to be in other places. They've gone back to see how it has been, what dates and times, where it's been visible. Is God a God of order or chaos? Order. 
You know, if a big explosion happened and started all this, we could be right here right now, and all of a sudden it's dark outside for 10 minutes and light again, and we think, oh, well, I guess we had an eclipse today. We're not surprised by it, are we? It happens. But the eeriest thing I thought when that eclipse, we were downtown at the gym. Uh, we were running the movie and handing out tracks and different things. But as it got dark, not only did the street lights come on because of the, the light sensors, but all of your evening insects, they started to chirp, and it was just like it was night. And you know, as, as you were talking about that, I thought about that also, and that'll, that'll preach, because as that darkness happens, those that live in darkness are going to react, but as the light comes forth, that changes how, just like those insects don't uh, chirp and carry on during the day, or roosters don't crow at certain times, if nature's affected that way, how much more can human beings be affected by the true light of Jesus Christ. And even though they could predict precisely when, where to go, yeah. by coming down to our area to mm -hmm. see the best thing, they couldn't do a thing about changing that. Oh, they couldn't do one thing. Yeah. Now, I, I, I thought it was a great thing. I think it was a good thing for our town. And I've tried to get them to schedule another one, but they haven't done it yet. So, but anyway... Uh huh. But the group, every group that goes in, they go down this stairway with a rail on it, uh -huh. and they stop us, and they tell you to hold on to the rail. They turn the lights off. You don't even have the sparkles in your eyes. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's total, total darkness. Mm -hmm. And they would shoot an arrow across that cavern, yeah. and it would light up everything. Wow. Just and just that small light in that much darkness. This is what this wasn't where I intended to go tonight. But think about how much darkness is in the world, and we feel insignificant sometimes. We feel like we're not much, but our little light can can dispel a lot of darkness. Right. Yeah, we, and you know, it, it wasn't the most ideal situation being in the building. We, we had some logistical problems, but the gospel has never really depended on logistics. It was still shared, and we let a little bit of light shine. So it, it was a good time. I'm, I'm glad we were able to do it. So, well, let's move on before I make some more illustrations, but, um, I just get excited sometimes about this stuff. But let's let our light shine. Number three, uh, sometimes we may have to disobey our government. We just got through saying we must submit, but there's times we must disobey. Uh, in Acts 5.29, Peter and the apostles said, we must obey God rather than men. And their, their lives were on the line at that time. Um, and even during the really bad Roman persecution, when they were rounding Christians up to be executed, they say, now, if you'll 
recant Jesus and worship or give your allegiance to Caesar, we'll let you go. And there's many that said, we can't do that. And whether it was lines or whether it was crucifixion or whether it was burning, they obeyed God rather than men. Now, as far as the law of the land goes, we should, I think, as good Christian citizens, follow the law of the land. I don't think we should um, drive faster than we could. I, I think we need to always slow down and stop at the stop sign at 2nd and Pennsylvania. Um, you know, those sort of things. Uh, because there is a penalty if, if we get caught. But it's still, even if we don't get caught, we're not doing the right thing. Um, but when government gets out of line with God, we have to go with God. Um, legality does not equal morality. Just because something's legal doesn't mean it's right. And the way our laws flip, well, here one day we had legal nationwide abortion, the next day we didn't. So you can't go by what's legal if that's right or wrong. Because that was wrong both ways, but one time it was legal, one time it wasn't. So you can't say that just because something's legal means it's okay. We can't condone abortion, gay relationships, I don't want to say marriage, um, and there may be somebody watching on the internet that uh, thinks I shouldn't say that, I don't know, but scripture's clear that that is not an institute of God, a man and a man and a woman and a woman. Uh, we shouldn't go along with that, we shouldn't go along with these perverse lifestyles. Any of these things that have become legal in our country, we can't stand for that, we can't go along with it. Because at the end of the day, at the end of our life, when it matters, we're accountable to God. We're not going to have the Supreme Court at the end of our life say, okay, how did you hold up the laws of the land? We're going to have a holy, righteous God that we're going to stand before and he's going to say, this is when it mattered, how did you represent me? Did you follow this agenda? Did you follow this um, thing or this way that's contrary to my word. What did you do with my word? What did you do with my son? That's what we're going to have to answer for. Number four, we have to pay taxes. I've gone from preaching to meddling. We've got to pay taxes. Uh, in Matthew 22, it says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully and you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. 
As we unpack this, there's more here than just paying taxes. First, we see that the Pharisees and Herodians, who were not friends, but they had a common enemy. They neither one liked Jesus. Uh, so they came together to set this trap. And if Jesus had answered, no, you shouldn't pay taxes, well, then the Herodians would have charged him with treason against the emperor. If he had said, yes, you should pay your taxes, the Pharisees would have accused him of disloyalty to the Jewish nation because they didn't, the Jews didn't like following Caesar. They said only God is our king or they wanted their, like David or uh, Solomon, they wanted their own uh, authority. And I never thought about this until looking back at this today. Not only would, could they have accused him for disloyalty, but since this coin had Caesar's likeness on it and had an inscription calling Caesar divine, they could have accused him of idolatry also because that coin was putting Caesar as likened to a god. So they, were, they really set a trap, but of course Jesus didn't fall into the trap. He answered in a way that he couldn't be uh, trapped there. Um, these coins had been minted at the command of Caesar, and they had Caesar's likeness or his image. Some translations say likeness, some say image. And he had a right to ask for part of those coins back for taxes. So Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Now, we could say today, give to Lincoln what is Lincoln's, or give to Washington what is Washington's, but of course, they're all gone now. Um, but the idea is the same. It's U.S. minted money, so they minted it, they issued it, they have a right to ask for part of it back. Uh, but Jesus was making a distinction between man's kingdom and God's kingdom. And we as Christians still in our fleshly bodies, we're temporarily members of both kingdoms. We've got one foot in each. We're earthly residents while we're alive. We're already heavenly residents, but we're not there yet. So we're kind of stuck between the two. So while we're on earth, we have material currency to use to take care of material obligations, such as paying our taxes. If we didn't have money, it would be difficult to eat or different, difficult to get anywhere. Of course, it's getting harder and harder all the time with the way the inflation is, is going. Um, but, you know, I don't like paying the taxes, but if the government demands it, I'm expected to follow through with it. But we have eternal obligations as well. And this is where I really like how this turns you'll remember in Genesis 1:27, it says that God created humanity in his own image. Okay, we just got through saying that Caesar had minted a coin with his image. You kind of see where we're going, I think. See, we have money that our government has issued that has images of dead presidents and Ben Franklin. Um, and it's worth what the government says it's worth. Now, on the global market, it fluctuates between is the euro more than the dollar or the dollar? You know, it, it doesn't always keep the same worth. 
But the human soul was minted by God in his image. Now think about that. We have money that's been minted with someone else's image by a government that owns that currency. But we were created in the image of God. And our worth in his eyes are far more than ever how many billions and trillions of dollars. We're worth more than the national debt in God's eyes. Now, that's a big number there. <laughs> and, and I guess you could say that our worth keeps getting bigger every day if you're going by the national debt. But we can't imagine what we're worth. But we do know we were worth, at the very least, the blood of Jesus. The most valuable thing that I can think of. Priceless, yeah. We were worth that. So, okay, while we're here, I know you're tired of me saying this, but it's just money. We can't take it with us. We have to be responsible with it. But give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. We're his. We're in his image. Let's give ourselves to him completely. And fifth and finally, and I believe this may be the most importantly, is we must pray for our government. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. You know, here it says if we... If we pray for those in, in high positions, we'll lead a peaceful and quiet life. We certainly must not be praying enough for our leaders. Because there's, think about cities like Detroit and New York. They, do they have a moment's peace? We are blessed here. We're starting to see some of the vices of the world come in. But for the most part, we're in a peaceful area. I'd rather be here than a, lot of other places but we cannot overemphasize prayer we never can and anytime an election comes around you have republicans you have democrats you have independents and i'm the list goes on and each party has supporters who are praying for god to have their person elected to have their law passed whatever but, you know, it's just like in a football game. I know at the Super Bowl you've got people praying for each team. Somebody's going to be disappointed. Uh, I know, and we may even have a conflict in the pulpit here. We've got people praying for Tennessee, and we've got people praying for Georgia this Saturday. But somebody's going to be disappointed. Um, that's the same in the politics. Not everybody's going to get the answer they want. So rather than pray for our candidate to get elected or us to get our way, let's pray God's will, not the human agenda, but God's will in whoever's elected and whatever's passed, that it would be his will that's done. And I've, I've caught myself saying this before, well, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. God's will will be done. 
And, you know, sometimes I get to thinking about that because Jesus, when he taught the disciples to pray, he said, pray like this. And part of that prayer is, Father, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that tells me that God's will is not always done, that we have to pray for it to be done. So I know that's something I've got to change my mindset, that rather than thinking that every outcome is God's will, my thinking should be, okay, I need to pray that the outcome is God's will, that it's what he wants. Because I don't know that Jesus would have taught them to pray that way otherwise. I, I could be wrong. Uh, but we need to pray for our city, our county, our state, our country, and the whole world. And when we go here in a moment into our prayer time, I do want us to take a time, since we are here at an election, but even if it were an election, um, we still need to pray for our leaders and the way things are going. But in all things, trust the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty is, it's an amazing thing because if God just knew the things that he directly affects, he wouldn't be sovereign. But he's sovereign because he knows the things that he's directly affecting and the things that he doesn't directly affect. You know, if I do this, God didn't directly affect me doing that, but he knew I was going to. And hopefully he's going to allow me to bend over and pick it up without any, without any creaking or bones out of place. But he knows it all. He's, he's sovereign. And, and he didn't just wind the universe. You know, we talked about that a few weeks ago. He didn't just wind up the universe and step back and let it go. He's still involved, and he cares enough about us to make sure that things are done for our good. Augustine of Hippo, um, I don't know, I always thought that was weird, he was of Hippo. He lived in the first century A.D. He said, it is true that wicked men do many things contrary to God's will, but so great is his wisdom and power that all things which seem adverse to his purpose do still tend towards those just and good ends and issues which he himself has foreknown. So what he's saying there is even when things don't appear to go according to God's will, God can still take that and good come out of it. You know, we, we think, well, why did this happen? And then two or three years down the road, you know, I, I'll just give you an example. Um, this is recording for posterity, but I don't think you'll care for me telling this. It, you know, several years ago, y'all remember those that lived here, that our railroad shut down in 84, 83, something like that. The employees were given the option of where to go, and our family ended up going to Corbin, Kentucky. My dad did not want to do that. He, the whole time we were up there, he was homesick. He wanted to be back here, wanted to be back here. And this has been just a few weeks ago. We were talking about it. And he said, you know, I wish I had never made that move. I wish I had just stayed here, took the buyout, got a different job, and all these things. He was talking about all this would have worked out so much better. I said, well, now wait just a minute and let's think about it. You've had all this 
stuff with your heart and you're still carrying railroad insurance, had you not gone and you had taken a different job, you may not have been carrying as good insurance as you have. You may not have, you may have had to pay more out of pocket. You may not even had insurance. We may not have been able to much less go all the way to Cleveland, but have anything done. So yes, it was a less than ideal situation. And I'm sure he was thinking, God, why has this happened? Why are you uprooting our family and making us go to this place we don't want to go? But now, 30-some years later, we can look back on that and say, you know, really, that was probably the best option for us. Yeah. Yeah. God can take that. Yeah. Yeah. And still, we don't understand it, but at least in this one situation, we can see how God took what we didn't like and in the end has used it for good. So... And today's his birthday, by the way, so if he's watching or listening, happy birthday to my dad. So, he is 94 today. <laughs> Not really. No. All right. Um, I'll close with this, John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. I love that promise. Any questions or comments? If you even go back further than that, when they were clamoring for a king like the other countries, God said, I'm your king. You don't need a king like everybody else. But they just kept on and on. And well, he gave them a king. And that's probably what led to that downfall in the split kingdom said, well, this is what you asked for. You know, and sometimes we get what we ask for. We got to be careful. And, and like you said, there was more bad kings than good. I've got a professor that used to give a test over the kings of Israel and Judah that you had to name which ones are good or bad. He quit giving the test because the students figured out if you wrote bad by all of them, you would still pass the test, even if you got the good ones wrong. So he doesn't give that test anymore. And that just shows you how bad, how bad it was on them. So, but yeah, God will give us what we want sometimes. Okay, that's good. Anybody else?